I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Ecclesiastes chapter number 6. Ecclesiastes chapter number 6. We just left off with be on guard. Be on guard. Guard your walk, your worship, your words. Guard against wickedness. Guard against the love of wealth. And guard your warrant. Now Solomon, as his frustrated looks at these things that are happening, looks at the horror of frustrations and limitations and things that he's seen verse number one there is an evil which i have seen he's placing his eye of course under the sun there is an evil which i have seen under the sun so the problem here is that he is looking at everything without going through the lens of God. We quoted that song last week, let me see this world, dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes. He is not seeing it through the eyes of God. And so uh, one of the things that I read uh, when I was reading some books and things about uh, the book of Ecclesiastes over the years, one author said, human beings are difficult to please. (laughs) There's an evil which I've seen under the sun, and it's common among men. There are frustrations and limitations. There's just so much irritation. Now, I want to take you back to the first limitation because I want to show you something that's very, very interesting. I taught in a Christian school for over 20 years, 22, 23 years. I can't remember exactly right at the moment. But uh, I taught high school, Christian high school. And there are rules in uh, schools, and there are even more rules in Christian schools. And I heard this once. I heard it a thousand times. If we would just relax this rule, or if we could just change this one rule. And uh, I, I told him, I said, here's the thing. Human nature as it is, one rule change would make you happy for a short amount of time. Then you would become frustrated, and you would go after the next rule. And then that would make you frustrated, and you would go after the next rule. You will never be satisfied with getting one rule changed. Now, let's go back to the Garden of Eden, where there was one limitation. Zero other other than one, just that one. No other. Now, I want you to think with me. How many trees do you think were in the Garden of Eden? I mean... We're looking at God's greatness, right? We're looking at how awesome God is. So to me, it seems like there would probably be a vast variety. We see, Look what we see today in our earth. Can you imagine what that garden was filled with? And so we see that God made a garden 
And in this garden, he put in Adam to till it. And it says here that he had him come in with the woman to take care of it. And they said that you can eat freely of all the trees. There, I mean, there is no limitations except one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are no other limitations. When we get to chapter 3, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God made in Genesis 3. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, the doubt of the devil, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. All of these, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Now, she's adding to God's word. He told him not to eat it, lest you die. And then he goes from doubt to flat denial of God's word. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. In fact, let me tell you why God did it. The devil decides to answer for God. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Here is the interesting thing. There was one limitation. You can know everything and eat everything except the knowledge of good and evil. And they said, we want to have the knowledge of good and evil. What did that bring into the world? Evil. What did that do for it? Now we behold good and evil all the time and get irritated and upset with it. It seems funny that there was just one limitation only, and that was the one that the devil zeroed in on. He did not zero in on all the other trees. Every single one was okay, just not that one. So if you brought it down to one rule in a Christian school, they still would not be satisfied. That's the problem. Limitations and frustrations. So Solomon says, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men, a man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth or lacketh nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. The first uh, frustration that Solomon sees is the frustration of lucre. The second frustration we're going to look at is the frustration of labor. And the third is the frustration of limitations. Now, in this first section, verses 1 through 6, he is sitting here saying, you know, this is a horrible thing. I've watched under the sun that God, who is the source of wealth, and yet other people can't enjoy the God of the wealth, and they can't enjoy the wealth. And he makes it very clear that the man to whom God gives all kinds of things, wealth and property and things, so that his heart lacks absolutely nothing that he desires, yet the Lord does not give him the ability to enjoy it. And why is that? Because he's under the sun. This is something that Solomon looks under the sun. Without God... God doesn't give you always the ability to enjoy all of your life. In fact, it's interesting that several of uh, rich people, famous rich people in history, have been miserable people because their wealth did nothing to help them with anything in life whatsoever, and they could not enjoy it all. They couldn't enjoy anything, 
And some became very, very much big-time philanthropists, and they found enjoyment in that because they were able to use their money for some kind of good outside of their realm. Those that don't do that never enjoy it because they're always looking over their shoulder of how, what they can get, what they can buy, and how they can guard it and keep it from being destroyed and hurt. And by the way, the storms of life hit the poor house and the rich house all the same. The storms of life that come through all of the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the earthquakes and the volcanoes and the tsunamis, there's no respect of housing. But he goes on and says not only does he not get to enjoy it, but a stranger comes along and eateth it. He says, this is vanity. This is vain, empty, worthless. And he said, and it is an evil disease. He looked at that and said, it's like a disease. Well, if you think about it, that's pretty uh, graphic. He said, I, I, I looked at this where they can't enjoy what they've done, and it's just as bad as being ate up with some kind of cancer or ate up with some kind of leprosy or something where you have sleeplessness and hopelessness and discouragement and you have fear and mental anguish and sluggishness and side effects and all these things. He looks at all of these horrible things and says, this is not great. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God gave us all things to enjoy, but you can't trust those riches because you'll lose your joy. You'll lose your wealth sometimes, and if you don't lose your wealth, you will lose your joy of that wealth. And you'll always be looking over your shoulder. Those who play the stock market, they have to be on the floor the whole time the stock market is open and they're scared to death to, to blink for fear they might not buy or sell at the right time. And he goes on and says uh, another illustration of this horror of, of getting and losing. If a man begat a hundred children and live many years so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in vanity, he cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Alright, what is he saying here? He says, if a father has a hundred children and lives all kinds of years, a very, very, very long life, but he can't enjoy his prosperity, he can't enjoy his work, his labor, his kids. Even if he were to live a very, very long time, or even if he were to live forever, it wouldn't matter because he said it, it would just be better if, he, as, if a person was a stillborn child, if he was uh, a child that miscarried. That word there uh, in verse number three, an untimely birth is uh, like a miscarriage. He says, for he cometh in in vanity. Now he's talking about the stillborn child. He cometh in in vanity. He cometh in worthless, empty. He comes in in futility because he's dead. He came into the world for no reason and then departed back into the darkness. And his name shall be covered with the darkness. His name will no longer be hardly around. No one will hardly remember him. In fact, maybe the parents. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor known anything. This has more rest than others. He said, though he never saw the light of day nor no one ever knew anything, 
yet he has more rest than the man that should live for a very long time. Verse 6, yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place, meaning don't both of them die. Now, let me just remind you, it is appointed of the man wants to die. Yep, there is an appointment of death. But we don't all go to the, we go to the same place in that we leave this address, but we don't always go to a change of address in the same place. The place that we depart and the place we arrive can be different based on our knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he did for us in our trusting him as our personal savior or rejecting him and ending up in a place called hell. Horrible, horrible place called hell. Yes, the frustration of lucre. Now, he comes to verses 7 through 9, and he deals with the frustration of labor. And again, we work, and we work, and we work, and Solomon has dealt with this before, and he starts off with all the labor. Uh, talking about that word is it, a word can be translated wearying toil. Okay, it has the idea of toiling labor with troubles in it, difficulties, the hardships of laboring. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. He he works to fill his stomach, is basically what Solomon is saying here. He works for that which provides the food on the table. He works for that to satisfy the physical hunger pains in life. But the appetite is not filled, meaning he's never satisfied. I often wonder when uh, kids were teenagers, and I get told you I've taught in the Christian school, and sometimes I would take uh, the young people out, uh, on a, a field trip or errand, we'd stop by a fast food place. The bus would pull up, and it was amazing the amount of food that uh, kids could put away and get on the bus and say, I am hungry. And you just watched them take, you know, like three Burger King Whoppers and fries and whatever. And in our day and age, uh, we supersize everything and yet never satisfied. The appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the king? So basically what Saul was saying, what advantage does a wise man have over a fool? And what advantage does a pauper gain over those who maybe have a lot? What's the difference between these people? What makes the difference He's saying, I don't see all the difference. Solomon says, all men are motivated by appetite of the flesh. So what does it matter? It's never satisfied. If you're motivated by the appetite of the flesh, it is never satisfied. Your labor's never satisfied. But if your labor's in the Lord, then you'll be satisfied. You have worked and you work to please the Lord. And when you work to please the Lord, then you take the money and you give him uh, at, at the, the first fruits of that, saying, thank you for letting me use this. And then you use it to 
take care of your family and you're satisfied that God has given you the ability to work because if he didn't, you couldn't do it. And God has given you the ability to bring home the check and God has taken care of you and God will always take care of you. We need to understand our labor is better in the Lord. My verse for living that I got as a teenager was in 2 Corinthians 15, or 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, Solomon. It's not in vain. It's not vanity. It's not in vain in the Lord. It's not that kind of thing. You can be satisfied. You can be content with knowing that you worked hard and you did right. In fact, when Paul was dealing in the book of Ephesians with the masters and the servants, that principle can be applied to employers and employees. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter number 6 where it says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever or whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord whether he be bond or free. The first set is to the servants, but we're going to make it employees because this principle will work. Be obedient to them that are your employers according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart. Do it straight from the heart as unto Christ, not with eye service, not for people to look at you, not as men pleasers trying to get people to say, oh, look at you. But as servants of Christ, working for the person as a servant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service to the Lord, not to men. Then he goes on and makes it very, very, very clear. All right, you masters, or in this case, we're going to use it as an illustration for ye uh, employee, employers, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening knowing that your master also in heaven. So you've got a master in heaven looking after you. Okay, Now be careful. Neither is there respect to persons with him. So don't you go down that road. Don't you go down that route. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. Wow, think about that. It is better to be content with what the eyes can see than for what the heart craves. It's better to be content with what you see you have than to crave that which you cannot have or do not have or think you need to have or what you want. It is very much making it crystal clear here that the sight of the eyes is enjoying the possessions you have now used to be kind of a interesting thing when my wife and I had our two uh, boys that were born to us as young kids our adopted son came to us as a 13 year old so we didn't have him as a little kid but as a little kid it was amazing to watch them open a box you know a pretty good sized box where there was a toy 
that you know that maybe they wanted at three or four years old, something that they would saw in a store and they oh 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 you can see them going for it, and yet they got on it once or twice on Christmas Day and then played the box the rest of the morning. They had more fun in the box, and I, I thought you know we could save ourselves a lot of money next year. Let's just wrap up a box that's empty and let them play in the box. Then they get older and things change a little bit. But uh, enjoy the things that you have been given. If God's given it to you, enjoy that which he has given you. Be thrilled that he's given it to you because there is a need that is going to be fulfilled by God down the road. If you don't need it now, you don't have it. When you need it, he gives it to you. Rejoice in it and enjoy it. But if you don't need it, then He's not going to let you get it. So hang in there and remind yourself constantly, constantly, constantly that there's a limitation in labor when you labor incorrectly, when you labor under the sun and not for the Lord. Now we come to verses 10 through 12 where we see the limitations, the frustration of limitations. And he says, that which hath been named is named already and it is known that it is man, neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. So we come now and we look at this and we're saying, okay, uh, that which hath been is named already. Hmm. We already see that there's nothing new under the sun. And Solomon realizes that that which is named, whatever happened has been taken care of. It's God put it all into place. Whatever happens to a person, God knows. We don't, but God knows. Whatever's been in mind for a long ago, it's been known. And no one can tend with the one who did it because God is mightier than we all. God is the mightiest of us all. There is an exclamation here of, hey, there is a limitation. There is coming a day that you can't do, you can't fix. There's there's a payday coming. There's a death day coming. There's a disease day coming. There's a debt day coming. There's all kinds of days that are coming. When when just dealing with trials of life, James said the trials were various. They were diverse trials. They're various. There there's just there's not just one kind. And then he said, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? Listen, this is interesting. There are many things that increase emptiness, vanity, meaningless, worthlessness. There are many. That's a hard thing to think. This, how many things are we working on that are just total vanity when we realize that there is nothing whatsoever we can do about it, period, end of story. There is a limitation. There are things that increase vanity. What is man the better? The idea of this thing is, hey, listen, I just don't have anything I can see or say that's going to make anything better under the sun. There's a limitation to what I can say. There's a limitation to what I can see. I can't make God do anything. I can't speak and fix it. With all the wisdom that Solomon had, he cannot make it happen. There's nothing he can do to fix the problem. Then verse 12 For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him 
under the sun. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Who knows what's best for a person? Hmm? Who knows what's best? What is best for you during your life? Your life is coming and going every day. What's best for you today? What's best for your life right now in the very present time you live? Well, if you're a Christian, what's best for you is what God says. Amen? Whatever God says. You, he knows what's best for you. We look to him for the best. Listen, you can, you can have the good. You can have the better. But what you should strive for is the best. What is the best that God wants from me today? And when we look at that, we realize that we don't have a knowledge of what's good for us. We think we do, but we don't. Who knows what it is? Solomon's asked, hey, how can we know what's good for us today? Listen, Solomon didn't have the answer, but he should have because he had God's wisdom in the beginning. It's really very much what we've been saying all along. God knows exactly what's good for man. God knows what's evil. God knows what's right, and God knows what's wrong. He gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts, but he also gave us a conscience. And people that are not uh, saved still have a conscience, and their conscience can get at them. But if they continue to defile their conscience over time, they sear it to where they no longer feel it. And now they have zero conscience whatsoever for anything that they are doing. And he said, all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. Here's a question. For who knoweth what is a good for man in this life all the days of his vain life? That's the question. Which he spendeth as a shadow. It's just a shadow. It's just kind of there and gone. Just There's nothing to it. There's nothing to grasp. There's nothing to get at. It's an empty, worthless, meaningless life. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Okay, who's going to predict the future? Oh, we have people that say they can, but they miss it. They may get this right or that right, but they miss it. No one knows for certain what's going to happen in the future, but God does. God's even painted the picture of the future for us, which we can look at and see what's coming. We know that there is coming a day of a rapture for Christians, and it's going to create a catastrophic event on this earth. We know there is coming the tribulation period. There will be nothing but catastrophic on this earth. We know there's a day coming of the great white throne judgment and there will be those who will be judged and sentenced to hell forever, forever, forever. We know that at the rapture we're going to be taken up out of here and there is a Bema seat, a judgment seat of Christ that we will be at as Christians. We know some things because God told us the future. And way back in the days of the prophets and way back in the days of uh, Moses and in the historical books, we have the promise of a coming Messiah. And then God took that prophecy and had it become reality. And he came the first time in the Gospels. Then in the Gospels, he said he was going to Calvary and die and raise again. And we saw that happen. And then we come to that. And he ascends back up and says, the way I came up as the way I'm coming back. I'm coming back to get you. And that has not happened yet, but it will because he did it. all the other things he said he would do. We have a track record that he knows the future, but we don't. And that gets us irritated under the sun. We don't know where things are going, but my friend, God does. Put it into God's hands. Father, encourage our hearts through the things of God and help us strengthen us with your might and illuminate our eyes to see your theory, your way, your will, and your care and your keeping. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton praying you have an absolutely 
awesome week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every word is true. Oh, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every You've been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.